Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 173 with Dave Santucci, Whistlin Dave, YouTuber, vegan, conscious, fiery Leo. Join the team as we get to know an intriguing character who is dolphinately on the wave. Welcome and well met. Thank you. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. You are a YouTuber, right? I think I, you, I realized that the other day and I was like, oh shit, you're actually like big at YouTube world. If I'm not tripping, maybe it was Instagram or something because I didn't know well, you from yeah, that context. No, yes and no. I'm not really big, I wouldn't say. Um, I mean, I and I do. You have more than I'm your mom really... following you. <laughs> I don't do it. <laughs> I don't do it very often uh, anymore. For, for a while there, I was really trying to get big and famous, but my thing is whistling. Um, I do have... Uh, over 10,000 subscribers and I have That's a huge, few dude. Well, I have a few million views collectively of all my videos that I have over 100. Bro. Videos. Yeah, that's my, not my biggest nothing. thing. <laughs> well, my most popular videos are my whistling tutorials. Um but um <clears throat> you know, I mean, I for a while there I was trying to get, you know, there are people who literally make a living as YouTubers and I was hoping to do that, but Well, um, they did. Don't feel bad. They did. That's all over now. So, just to so you know Oh, well, anyway, I mean, uh, you know, it, it would be my dream if I didn't have to work a grind a day job and if I could just whistle for a living. And I have done lots of professional whistling gigs, but um, not anywhere near enough to pay the bills, you know, so but that's OK. It's fun. As long as you're having fun. So what we do, something at the top of the episode, uh, which I haven't done yet, but we typically do is uh, correlate this episode 173, I think um yep. to a major arcana so that's going to yes, be yes. the justice card and kindly Ooh. dave just briefly mute yourself just while we're talking for longer segments but, uh, although your mic is pretty clear so we can try it both ways it's up to you okay sure so the justice card is i reap what i sow i choose to walk the path of truth this is about the principles of consequences you reap what you sow reclaiming your power taking an honest inventory of your life and acknowledging your successes and your defeats. Raphael, what is the Galactic Heritage card? We have number 65. Again, Pleiades, present timeline, refining galactic lineage. Pleiadians have been involved with genetic refinement projects on Earth and other planets for thousands of years and see it as a way to be of service from a cosmic point of view. If you chose this card, then you too have most likely had this experience in other lives. This is why you have an interest in extraterrestrial consciousness in this life now. Always remember that learning about the subject is only meaningful if you see the bigger picture. Genetic projects represent the greater truth that we are all one. We are one consciousness expressing itself through many bodies. There is no separation between us. Well... Dave, did that resonate in any way between the Justice card and what he just read? Wow. 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 I guess yeah. so. That's crazy. I was expecting um, you to whistle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. um, <laughs> well, that's super interesting. Um, you know, that's a topic that I'm very interested in, actually. Um, extraterrestrial involvement on planet Earth, which, you know, there's plenty of evidence to at very least suggest that, you know, um, extraterrestrials have been 
very involved in the development and evolution of life here on earth for tens of thousands of years, you know, uh, if not longer. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I believe in karma and reincarnation. And so the justice card as well, that's something that's always, always on my mind is um, I'm almost actually, I would have to say I'm obsessed with the trajectory of life on this planet. Um, the amount of suffering uh, that happens on this planet, which is basically a kind of a, a predatory ghetto, uh, I would call it in galactic terms. Um, it's this is a place where it's like, you know, the strong overpower the weak, you know, um, the, it's it's kind of every man for himself. There, the degree of separation the you know, we're all under this illusion on this planet that we're separate beings and that we all have to struggle to survive. And when there's a competition and we all have to fight against one another. And that's not how it is on planets that have already been through all these growing pains, planets that have been around a lot longer, I believe. There's peace and harmony and cooperation, and there's not all this predatory, um, just pain and suffering and, and all that muck, you know, that we're writhing around in. We're, you know, in humanity right now, I think we're going through a stage where we're working a lot of that out. We're, we're really at a tipping point. Um, I mean, this gets into politics and everything happening on the planet right now. But yeah, I'm super interested in the whole topic of karma. Um you know, justice, uh, what's right, what's wrong, you know, is there such a thing as absolute right and wrong? Uh, that's a whole nother topic. Um, oh, we'll get into this so, kind of stuff. I'm about it. James I want to say briefly, these questions for about 170 episodes. So. Yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah, and it's funny because I'm at this point where it's like, well, we'll talk about it. Um, but really quickly, I forgot to mention that intro music. I didn't pick it. Raphael did. And it made me think, Dave, of how you must have felt on that mushroom trip you were talking about, um, which I do want to get into. It was all like yeah. overwhelming robotic tones and stuff. So I was like, oh, it's I hope I'm not triggering you. Interesting. No, no, not at all. Oh, well, okay. technically, yeah, I would have triggered you maybe, but uh, it's always interesting choosing these tracks because for the intros and those listening elsewhere now won't know because we cannot include the music in any platform except the OkTalk archive itself and library because they're not so fascist on censoring everything basically. Um, so yeah, uh, listen on library if you want the whole show with the music. What was the track? Um, um, yeah, that's what I'm getting to now. So it's, uh, thank you, by Suan. The title is Respond, and I chose it because of the album. This is new music, so I, I didn't have all the... I kind of chose it on the whim. And the album is called The Gift of Light. And that's actually why, why I chose it. And because the other one that I had queued up was a really, like, Crystal sounds, I mean, is nice because it may be relating to whistling, but it's like really, uh, you know, ambient and solemn. And then I was reading the intro, it said like fiery Leo and so much energy. I was like, okay, let's try to use something like that. But yeah, certainly one of the more extreme tracks. Dolphin yeah, like sounded it. like that mushroom trip, which I do want to get into at some point. So Dave, I mean, maybe the best place to start um, is how I kind of, I don't even know how I came into contact with you. Probably through some psychedelic group or McKenna group or vegan group, I imagine. Yeah, psychedelic, uh, it was a psychedelic group on Facebook. And you, I, at some point, um, you know, you and I had some mutual friends and, uh, you know, the, that psychedelic group of people, you know, and, uh, I don't know. We just connected at some point. I said, wow, this guy's got a third eye and a rainbow, you know, uh, blasting out of his mouth. This, this looks like a cool guy that I want to know. <laughs> I can thank my friend for that picture edit. Uh, 
it is a rather funny picture. Um, but I love it. Yeah. So that's okay. I, I figured it was through Facebook. We've known each other for a bit, probably more than a year or two. And uh, I had the privilege of reading your chart at one point, and then your wife's chart, and then reading a synastry yeah. chart for y'all while I was in Australia. So that was fun. Um, but do me a favor, and you could be as long-winded or as brief as you prefer. Um, fill me in on like where you grew up, how you became interested. I, well, I want to cover all the things, whistling, veganism, psychedelics, um, even accounting if you want, to, whatever we want to talk about. But kind of fill me in on like your backstory. Where did you grow up? What kind of culture were you dealing with? Like how have you individuated? How have you come to the place you are now kind of thing? Sure. Okay. Um, well, uh, first – um, I got to say happy birthday to my mom. Um, she is no longer with us on this planet. Uh, her, her current incarnation uh, ended about five years ago in 2015. She died of um, lung cancer, but um, she, today was her birthday and she would have been, uh, I think, 84 years old today if she was still around. So happy birthday, mom. Love you. Um, Not to her. And- <laughs> my mom and dad um, had 16 kids together. Are you shitting me? I would not shitting you. I can't believe I never. That told sounds you this like before. a joke. No, dude, we haven't. T- you've asked me for a reading, and you've called me once or twice about psychedelic things or whatever. But like, no, I don't know your history. I don't. We've really never know talked you that about, well. that, about that. No. <laughs> and then, yeah. Briefly, I just just today saw like a meme, and it said like, "Grandma today says today." Uh, the young folks only think about sex. Also, grandma, and then an old picture, you see a mother, I would say not older than 40, with her husband, and next to them are like 13 children or something like that. Well, you read what you sow, <laughs> I guess, right? So, um, okay, 16, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just like, what? I thought you were kidding because it's such an outlandishly large number. Like, I'm the oldest of four, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, that's a lot. But, like, you were four times as many. Go ahead with what you were saying, though. Yeah, sure. So I was number 10 out of 16. Um, I was born in the summer of love, 1969, and uh, toward the end of July. And um, so it's funny, my birth date uh, works out as a 777 numerologically, if you take the month, date and year. Um, And um, I don't know if there's any significance to that, but you know. Um, And yeah, I growing up, I grew up in Long Beach, California. Um, my parents, uh, my mom didn't work until much later when I was like an, an older teenager, she, she went back to work because finally she was able to, but all her life, she was just like, you know, raising this huge family. My dad was a electrical engineer working for McDonnell Douglas building airplanes. Uh, and then which later they became part of Boeing. But, um, me, I, you know, I grew up, uh, just sort of, you know, um, in this huge family, in this huge household of kids, and um, everybody in the family is pretty creative and very sort of, you know, fun and funny and a little bit odd. I mean, I'll be the first person to tell you that I'm a little bit strange. Um, <laughs> uh, my all my, I mean, my nieces and nephews, some of my uh, some of my brothers and sisters' kids all call me Crazy Uncle Dave or Crazy Dave. Um, because even in my crazy family, I'm a little bit more crazy than most of them, I guess. But um, I, you know, I gravitated to whistling. Um, I love whistling because it's, it's, you know, it's something you can do anywhere, anytime. You know, if you're just, if you, the tune pops into your head, you can just bust it out and 
Um, you got a warble and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. I love the warble. I first I taught myself to warble because I wanted to be able to do that. Like the loon. Oh no, okay, the song of the west or whatever. Yeah, the uh, what is that? Good, bad, and the ugly or something. Um, well, everybody in my family whistled. My dad always whistled, and my mom whistled. And I, when I was a really little kid, I mean, I learned to whistle. I think before I learned to tie my shoes, um, I was. I just thought it was something everyone did and it was as natural as walking and talking and breathing. And so that's one of my earliest memories is the time when I got my first sound out, when I first, you know, learned how to actually produce a whistle. Um, and, you know, as I got older, I played trumpet and I played piano and I played in jazz band in high school. And, you know, so I was really into uh, improvisation and just learning to, you know, kind of uh, let the music flow through you, you know, the, the thing about any art really, and I know you guys already know this, you know, art has a life of its own and really the job of the artist in creating is to find that whatever it is and let it come through you, you know, and in the beginning stages, when you're not very good at a musical instrument or a medium, you know, you're you, a lot of effort and thought and care goes into what you're doing. But as you get better with it, then you kind of get into a flow where it's like, hey, and then stuff just kind of comes through you. And it and that's, that's what I find with my whistling is that um, when I get on a roll, and I start just flowing with it, um, just all these crazy musical thoughts come out of me and I don't even know where they came from. Um, but um, anyway, growing up in Long Beach, um, Southern California, it's beautiful. It's sunny. It's a lot of fun. There's the beach. Um, I believe it or not, I've never surfed in my life. Most of my brothers surf and uh, I, for some reason, never did. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, it's something I still would love to do someday, but I'm already, I'm 51 years old now and I still haven't done it yet, but um, I'll get to that. <laughs> um I encourage I've you been to really, really Oh, have you have you surfed? No, I skateboard and I snowboard and I've lived in Waikiki two years. I was just in Gold Coast, Australia, and I still haven't tried surfing, but when I'm I'm planning on moving back to Hawaii at some point. Yeah. Or somewhere with a coast. Um, I will do it that time for sure. Yeah, yeah. I definitely I, I mean I hear it's just absolute bliss. I, I know it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I involved myself with music really heavily and, um, really my biggest obsession my whole life, really, I mean, I don't want to get inappropriate, but my biggest, biggest obsession my whole life has been sex and how do I get sex and why can't I get sex and, and Leo's which, son, you know, Sagittarius moon problems. Yeah. And, you know, and my son is in the eighth house as well. So oh, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, um I by now, I mean I've had plenty by now, of course, but you know, growing up I was like, man, I'm already 13 years old and I haven't had sex yet. Why? You know. Um <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, I I I've been very obsessed with it. Um and it's it's funny because I think uh there's a comedian that does a bit about this how, you know, that if everyone could get all the sex they wanted that nothing shit wouldn't get done and nothing would get built and that that's like the carrot that society dangles out in front of you that well you know if you want sex you got to work you got to have you got to provide you got to have money as a woman will want you and you know it's um i think there's some truth to that um especially in today's modern world everybody um and this is something that i've really now now that i'm older and now that i've lived so much life um which still is 
pretty short time in cosmic terms, but I know that a lot of the things I came here in this lifetime to resolve was this, you know, obsession with sex and this desire for pleasure and this more than that, though, a need to connect and a need for someone else to tell me, hey, you're good. You're a good person. You're attractive. You're desirable. You know, I think that um, I think I came into this lifetime with a serious deficiency there. Um, and that's that I mean, being one of 16 doesn't help that. Necessarily. No, I mean, not sure at all. That was tension, but not ultimately, right, right. you know, one on one. Right. Yeah, that was something that was a challenge that I threw myself into head first, I think, because um I think I think in some past lifetimes, I think I was a really rotten person, to be honest with you, because I still have a tendency well, sometimes. I would to... say everyone was to some extent somewhere, you know. <laughs> I have a tendency to get I have, you know, a, a temper that is uh, you know, I mean, my my inner child is a demon baby. Um but <laughs> I'm working through all that and I'm really, you know, I really at the same time, I really, really have a deep deep love for everyone in my heart. I mean, that's why I'm vegan. Um, I, I really, I've learned that, you know, it's not all about me and it's, it's, you know, there's, man, I don't even know where to begin, but I mean, there, I think I came into this lifetime to really learn how to appreciate myself and to really truly love myself and accept myself exactly how I am with all my flaws so that I can then actually care about others and 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 love others and not be a rotten person anymore um it's interesting too and it's funny that it's my mom's birthday and that i end up on this topic because when i was a little kid my mom would scream at me you're a rotten little boy and um that was very hurtful but she was right and i'm glad that she i'm glad my mom was so honest because uh you know i would i would do things like i would catch flies and i would tear one wing off so that it couldn't have any hope of escaping. And then I'd toss it into a spider web and I'd just watch with glee as the spider came out of his little tunnel and went and got the fly, you know, it's really, that is some eighth house shit. So don't feel too bad. Yeah. It's kind of wicked though. Um, I mean, and I feel bad about that stuff now. Um, but, you know, I think um, it's interesting. It's what is it about human nature that makes us enjoy watching others suffer? I mean, that to me, it's almost like um, there is something there is something predatory in our nature that goes way, way back uh, in our evolution. And I, I also think there are some extraterrestrial and or interdimensional influences in this, you know, because um, I mean, there's the better part of human nature that by now I would think that humans could have and should have pulled ourselves out of the shit to a point where we're able to not have all this war and not have all this struggle and not have these corporations and these, you know, um, these rulers, so to speak, you know, um, you know, just causing the planet to be in such mayhem and carnage and chaos, but yet we are, we're still in a place where, you know, all this violence is so normalized and, you know, you try to talk to someone about veganism and they're like, what, not kill and eat animals? What, are you fucking crazy? Who are you? Oh, get the fuck out of here, you know? And um, it's, it's just, it's kind of bizarre. Um, I've, I've done so much, I've done so much uh, waking up and looking at myself honestly um, and, and seeing the darkest parts of my own being 
and realizing that, you know, I'm no better and I'm no worse than anyone else. We're all, it's almost like we're all equally guilty and we're all equally innocent. And we find ourselves in this calamity, this calamitous situation right now on this planet. And I just feel like, you know, everybody has got to start waking up. And I know a lot of people are starting to wake up, um, but it's really going to take every individual, I think, to turn things around on this planet and to have a future that's kinder and more enjoyable and that's not so difficult. And there's, we're at the point with technology, you know, everybody on the planet right now could be fed. Everybody on the planet right now could have clean drinking water and basic medical care. Um, but we're going to have to somehow have a complete transformation and shift from the old paradigm of competition and selfishness and self-centeredness and, you know, all of that and get away from that predatory mindset to a place of sharing and caring and togetherness and cooperation. And that's the challenge I think facing humanity, if we're going to last beyond the next few decades, you know, justice um, card indeed. I mean, you know, we're going to figure out, you know, you get what you give treat loving your enemies. However you want to kind of couch this, it goes a long way. Raphael, I'm kind of curious. You heard his perspective. Do you have anything to say about that? I certainly do. I will give me just a moment. All right. I only ask because <clears throat> Raphael is not only one of my, uh, because it's not about more woke or not woke. It's like, I mean, and this is a presupposition. I think everybody's exactly where they need to be. And it's kind of like a gestation. Um, or maybe you could think of a tree blooming, right? Like a cherry blossom tree or something. Some buds pop really early. Some buds, buds never pop, but the tree is a tree is a tree. So it's like, and then it turns into preferences like like it sounds like i mean i'm glad you you dave have come to a conclusion that like it's it's an you know there's equal guilt i guess to spread around or innocence um it doesn't hurt uh coming from a place maybe you feel i mean ripping off you know flies wings and stuff like kids do devious things because i think we don't understand the consequence of stuff sometimes um maybe it's coming from past lives maybe it's coming from certain influences holographically or you know hyperdimensionally or whatever but uh, it sounds like you've had a change of heart. I've there's a there's a part of waking up I think which has to do with um, you realize something and then you want you like <clears throat> the analogy I've ever always heard with Christianity is like I realized I was starving so I wanted to tell people about food or something like that right. So I think what happens is we get very fervent, very zealous about the the, the awareness we've come into. Uh, I think the deeper part ultimately of waking up is is understanding that. Yes, you've gone from, you know, maybe switched off to switched on, but you can't necessarily expect that in others. That gets into a very interesting point, like how much do we try to convince anybody of anything? Um, and I'm kind of curious about Raphael's so, thoughts. I don't know. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so you kind of uh, can and cannot. You can in terms of outward control or expectation. However, you can by refining your own belief system, enlightening yourself, and you will then be resonant with other individuals, you know doesn't necessarily mean that the one you want to wake up is going to wake up when you want it, but it can mean that certainly you can find, you know, community with those that are on the same wavelength. And in regards to suffering, technology, <laughs> that's what I was wondering oh. about your position on like suffering, the fucking, you know, the grind of the Dow or whatever. Cause I think in some way, well, I, yeah, it's all presuppositionally based. I mean, I don't know if you think that it's survival of the fittest. I mean, this gets into law of one, I think, really yeah, quick. Sure. sure, the fittest, but, but what's the fittest exactly? You know, And even here, there is at least two views. Even as I understand in somewhat mainstream biology or whatever, the one is the idea, as it often gets actually translated in German, 
das Recht des Stärkeren, so the, the right of the, of the mighty, or also um, das Überleben des Stärkeren, so the survival of the, is a mistranslation, because you wouldn't say fittest, but the survival of the strongest. But then if we just even look at the word differently, not even talking about evolutionary theory and so on, then fittest could also mean the one that is best fitting. And then again, for what? For this planet, for this particular challenge, but also for the very particularized ecosystem, or there are say frequency that that particular entity chooses to exist on. So um, yeah, there's quite a few things to consider here. And just to the point of um, what Dave said, so that we could uh, feed and clothe everyone, of course, you know, I contend that up till recently, this was even normal to do, even the indigenous or Native Americans, you know, they say, you don't have a tent, you know, you just get a tent. I mean, you know, what's the deal? But anyhow, so relating this to energy technology, abundance, and also UFOs, this is an excerpt uh, from Rala of One, section 811. The questioner asks, apparently they talk about UFOs. Um, wouldn't this type of craft totally solve or come close to solving a lot of the energy problems as far as transport goes? Um, and then Ra answers, I am Ra. The technology your peoples possess at this time is capable of resolving each and every limitation which plagues the social memory complex at this present nexus of experience. However, the concerns of some of your beings with distortions towards what you would call powerful energy cause these solutions to be withheld until the solutions are so needed that those with the distortion can then become further distorted in the direction of power. Wow. Well, I'm kind of curious, even though that I'm not trying to get off topic, uh, we could talk about any number of things, and I'm still curious about you know how you got married and all that kind of stuff, but... Um, yeah. What, Raphael, do you, I mean, this gets into like, Dave was talking earlier, is there such thing as evil? I think at levels, there's help. Well, there's the selfishness, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's that. First of all, I would say there's infinite perspectives of what could be considered good or evil. And I remember for some reason, you know, you have strange memories. Uh, and, you know, maybe I'm making this up, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. Um, me actually. <clears throat> in kindergarten and you know you play whatever i don't know with knights or with whatever kind of things you play with and i see two of my friends in front of me and uh, they want to play and they decide to set up the game and the question actually comes up well who's the good one and who's the evil one you know and me in my orion knight smart ass way if i remember correctly I'm actually telling them, well, you know, of course, from your perspective, you're going to be the good one and the other one, the evil one, you know, and, and vice versa, right? I assume that, interestingly enough, in this particular case, the question was asked actually in order to determine the winner in advance, who, of course, would be the good guys, whoever that, whoever, you know, plays that party. So, yeah, I'm not exactly sure if I gave you any answer right now. Yeah, so, yeah. There is good and evil on many different layers, and there is also a layer or level of perspective when you realize that those are all just definitions, including the idea of service to others and service to self. Whilst at the baseline, this can be a great distinction also to indicate polarization, positive or negative, again, to be read up in Ra's Law of One, for example. Um, 
But ultimately, if I understand that the others are me, then I also realize in a sense, service to self is service to others and service to others is service to self. And I would suggest this is especially important to realize if one actually consciously decides to polarize positively, because then it may be easier for them not to forget to give love first to themselves, even if the prime idea is to radiate it out to others, if that makes sense. Wow. Yes. It gets tricky. So, I mean, even in the Bible, which I'm not going to beat up on much because I don't think, I mean, I'm a Christian more or less, but like, I don't push this on others, but like the idea of in Job, it's like, yo, the torm, you know, Satan's going to fuck you up because God let, like, I think in some way it's all allowed in a sense and it's all moving in a direction and we don't, and maybe we have karma and reincarnation based off of what we do individually in our moment in the game, but there seems to be a flow of the river going a certain way that even some individuals can't alter particularly um and that we're learning like I, there's a pleiadian card in that deck where it was saying that they were trying to basically they were doing i forget which card it is but it was like they were doing good things maybe number 63 for some reason i'm thinking um they were doing good things and uh they went to orion and tried to free the orion people or whatever which is kind of like this empire from star wars on crack like extra extra insane sadomasochistic kind of thing i guess and they went there and tried to sit, like help them and then orion according to this little lore blew up one of their planets uh and they got like instant karma kind of thing it's like don't meddle you know and it, it gets tricky because i mean i think some people would constitute like involving oneself um for positive polarity is a righteous thing a good thing however you want to put that um and then a buddhist perspective might be like don't add karma to your stuff I'm not even sure if there's a right or wrong. I think it's dependent upon a lot of situations where one is individually. Uh, but it seems like the game is playing out and that we're, I mean, presuppositions color everything, but if like we're playing a game and we need tension, there's going to be, you know, Judas was necessary for a Christ to get crucified. There had to be that aspect in that sense. So it seems like it's just a game of polarity and not to write anything off and say anybody can kind of do anything. Everybody is kind of doing what they want and then they're having to, either be conscious or unconsciously moving towards a polarity they prefer. Am I kind of summing up Bashar's thing, Raphael? Well, it's more Ra who talks about polarization, but in summation, yes, everyone is doing what they want. There is, from the highest perspective or from unity perspective, no right or wrong because everything is unconditionally loved by the one creator who is yourself. Otherwise, it would not be allowed. It could not exist. Um, yeah, and then in, let's say, for real life purposes or whatever, it's simply a matter of um, recognizing there are these choices to be made. There is also polarization choice to be made. This can be made consciously. According to Ra and some others, it is even in a sense the objective of physicalized incarnation as a human to make a polarization choice and kind of, uh, you know, pull it Stick through to it. on this level. Yeah. Um, so one if you're can gonna build play a death that star, game. Build a fucking Death Star. Like, don't, like, you know, I mean, Jesus was like, "Be hot or cold, don't be lukewarm," kind of thing. That's kind of what maybe you're saying. Where it's like, at some point, we're going to polarize. So if you, I mean, and anybody can be good. Like, you know, that Hitler appears to be the case, right? Yeah, like Hitler, like gave sweets to his grandkids, probably or whatever. But he was, you know, doing crazy shit. He was vegetarian, and, uh, at least, you know. Oh, okay, yeah, and an artist. I forgot, <laughs> like a not you know successful artist but anyway he had attributes in the yin of his yang that were positive even though he did deplorable things and then you know i'm sure 
Mother Teresa, you know, doubted God's existence at one point or something, even in her diary. Well, or you know, I, I leave the the. the I'm first just using one. cliches. I know, but just to talk about the second one in this case about Mother Teresa, you know, there's quite a lot of very interesting information and connections coming up, who she's been affiliated with over the years and what she actually did, and as ever so often, those individuals, you know, portrayed as saints, are. A lot of things but that so yeah just saying that's a, that's a cliche but it's uh yeah it's one to be revisited let's say <laughs> oh yeah dave what did you want to say oh well i just i mean the whole topic is super interesting you know you bring up hitler um and i i think that when there's an individual like that you know people you know the old thing where you know well if you could go back in time would you go kill baby hitler you know um if it wasn't Hitler, though, there would have been someone else who would have fulfilled that position or that, you know, that those dynamics karmic... would have been expressed by the Tao at some level. You're kind of getting it. Exactly. And I mean, this may be a very upsetting concept for some people, but all of those people in Auschwitz and in all the concentration caps, camps and everything, uh, for that matter, all the animals that go to the slaughterhouses today, you know, they all chose that existence and they all chose that experience for whatever karmic reasons that they that they wanted or needed to experience that in order to work something out of their consciousness and learn and grow and move to more toward a full awareness of their oneness with it, with everything. Um, and that's what I think the entire trajectory is about is that all of us are moving toward oneness, you know, this whole, it's interesting because the whole universe, really, if you think about the big bang, if that, if that theory is correct, which, you know, cosmologists have a lot of evidence that seem to point to that as the reality, I mean, who really knows, but if the Big Bang is correct, you know, you had this, the universe started out as oneness. It was all just one unified energy, no separation of any kind. And then it all went bang and exploded into quadrillion bajillion pieces. And then those pieces started organizing themselves into, you know, more and more complex forms, you know, and you get atoms and you get cells and organisms and societies and and all the way up, you know, the chain. Um, and I think that what we're doing is we're all we're all kind of trying to get back to that original state of wholeness. And I think it all happened because of a desire, you know, I mean, I maybe the, the one, uh, the eternal infinite one was sitting there and at some point got bored and became aware of itself and became aware that, hey, is there more? And then that desire differentiation then, might be preferable kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but I do think that's where we're all headed back to, I think. And that's what love is. I think love is the same fundamental force as gravity. And it's just expressed on a different wavelength in terms of, you know, experience of conscious aware beings or biological entities. I think love is that desire to be, to rejoin with other fragments and to be one again, you know, it's, it's, you know, everything in the universe wants to glom together again until we, you know, like the core of the galaxy, everything in this galaxy is eventually uh, going to end up part of that core, which is a black hole. But the black hole isn't actually black. It's only black because no light can escape from it. But what it really is, it's pure light. It's all of the stuff has been crammed by gravity, has become so compressed that all of the separation, all of the empty space in between has all been squeezed out. And it's almost like one big, huge, super you know, a uh, particle where it's like, it's, it's, I mean, it's, that's, to me, that's 
God again. If I could jump on a rocket ship right now and fly straight into the core of the galaxy, um, I think I might because I would love to get back to that oneness and be done with all the suffering and all the experience. But then I say that, but you know, I probably have many, many, maybe a few hundred or thousand more lifetimes to go, maybe even on other planets, who knows? But um, there are times when I, you know, there, <laughs> I won't lie. There have been times when I've wanted to just get out of this lifetime and just say, fuck this shit, man. This is too I difficult. I felt that yesterday. <laughs> Did you I mean, really? really? Oh, dude, yeah. These have been insanely interesting. I mean, not totally, totally, but it's just like there's a lot of interesting energies going just, around astrologically, etc. Go for it. You can continue with your story, but just as a back story, because we just did a show on archetypes on the hermit in German, talking with Michael, actually, whom we've also had on, who also does human design. And we kind of spoke about number one, like, of course, the Saturn return stuff and also Uranus, uh, let's say, influences on life. And then especially like around 28 or something, suicides, especially for males, are peaking, uh, demographically speaking. So that's an interesting, you know, uh, resonance. Uh, do you guys mind if we stay on the topic of suicide for a moment? Because I actually have had kind of, ever since I was a teenager, I've had this horrible tendency to just slip into these fantasies of suicide all my life, almost. And um, yeah, it's it's right now is a time when in fact, I just had my great nephew, um, Jonathan, who was 14 years old. He just killed himself just a couple weeks ago, and it was a huge shock to everyone in the family. Um, and I, you know, I do think that there are some heavy, heavy energies at work right now. And um, people, you know, people now more than ever are just going like, what's the point of all this? Why do I, why am I hurting so much? And uh, it's weird. I mean, I do think that there are some predatory, um, you know, I don't know what you guys think of, you know, the concept of archons or, you know, um, you know, interdimensional and or extraterrestrial aliens who are basically feeding off of the negative emotional energy on this planet. But I'm starting to believe more and more that that's a very real possibility because um, it's just so crazy. The pressures and the circumstances in society and how, how difficult it is to just relax and be happy. You know, it's crazy. Raphael, what would you like to say to that? Yeah, well, um, on a simple level, I would certainly agree. However, I would be cautious not to externalize any of the authority or effect then really. So what I'm saying is there's certainly these and like all kinds of entities However, the only way that they could resonate with us is if we resonate with them or with that particular, you know, frequency, energy, feeling. There's, of course, also, you know, the point of the quality of the times and maybe also the quality of some variants of overarching story. I would suggest the idea of, in my preference, you know, the complete and utter uh, reformation of society and life upon this planet through the transition from third density to conscious and positively polarized fourth density awareness, along with, you know, the malleability of time and space, whereas we understand, again, we are the only supreme authority in navigating within our own time space and creating our own experiences at will and through love, not through control. Um, However, I would like to ask if you don't mind sharing, because this can only be highly relevant and symbolic, in my book at least, 
if an entity, especially at that age, would decide to go as too far as to uh, yeah, terminate their incarnation. Sure. Is that to me, uh, Raphael? Yes. Okay. Uh, wow. And first, I want to say I love everything you just said, because you're absolutely right that ultimately each one of us is uh, in control of our own experience. And whether we realize it or not, we create everything that we're experiencing. And we co-create that with everyone else that we're connected with, obviously. Um, but, um, you know, it's interesting because in reality, and this is this is really the thing that kept me from killing myself about, gosh, it was over five years ago because it was before my mom died, but I was in a really bleak spot financially, emotionally. Um, I was having a really difficult time. My son was an older teenager and he hated me and he, he and I were having huge power clashes all the time. Um, I was not getting along with my wife. I was, I was, I went from making, uh, I used to be a real estate agent for about seven years and I made over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And when the mortgage crisis happened and everything, um, you know, I hung in there for a while, but eventually I too went down like everybody else did. And then, um, there came a time when I wasn't employed. I had no income. We started to, we, we owned two properties at the time. And in Southern California, this wasn't that unusual. Um, at the time, these two properties were worth a million dollars, uh, collectively, and we lost all of that. Um, you know, thank goodness we came out of it with our health family intact and, you know, we still had our two cars, but, um, you know, we lost, we lost our two properties. We had to do short sales. They didn't actually go all the way to foreclosure. We did short sales. Um, but, you know, it was, I went through a really, really rough spot in life where everything that I had been working for for decades was just coming unraveled at the seams. And I came to a point where I really, you know, there was one time I was working this job at the time now where I was selling credit card processing services and it's a cutthroat business nobody wants to talk to you everybody's already got credit card processing they're like yeah yeah you can save us money get out of here we get 100 calls a week we don't want to talk to you and it was a very difficult sales job because you had to be so persistent you had to make you know over 100 calls a day just to find one person willing to talk to you for a couple of minutes and then you had to find some way to get them to be interested in maybe seeing if you could you know, provide a better service than the one they already had. And um, so it was a very difficult sales job. I don't recommend it. They'll hire anybody with a pulse because, um, you know, it's that business is all about money. But I'm very grateful I had that job too, though, because it really taught me to be assertive, whereas I've never before was assertive. I never, never, ever before could stand up for myself or be persistent. You know, it, my whole life I've run from any kind of conflict um, and which is part of why too, I became so unhappy in my marriage because I kind of let, I let my wife run the show for many years. Um, and you know, I would, I would try to stand up to her here or there when something was important, but I would always end up caving and crumbling because she's, she, uh, I guess I just hadn't found that fierce part of myself where I was afraid to ever let it out because I was my whole life. I've been trying so hard to be a good person. You know, I was raised in a Catholic family. My mom definitely taught me right from wrong, um, even though I didn't have a very good grasp of it when I was a little kid. Um, 
But, you know, I've always tried so hard. I've always wanted everyone to like me. And this is, I know, a Leo thing. Um, I've always been trying so hard to show everyone that, hey, I'm a good person. You can like me. You can trust me. I'm, I'm good. Like, let's get together and have fun and be happy. But, you know, to a large extent, too, a lot of that was kind of just a, a um, a lot of the time I was just being nice because I wanted to be liked when really I was going back behind my, behind people's back and going away, grumbling, going, Oh, that motherfucker. God damn it. I really want to hurt that guy. God damn it. You know, but I'd be smiling to his face going, Hey, no problem. Anything you want. Okay. I'm here to help, you know? And, um, so I went through this journey. My whole life has been this journey of discovering that, you know, um, just, just be honest in the moment. You know, if somebody is not being nice and they're not being kind, you don't have to sit there and be kind to them. Like that's, uh, I think there's a, there's a, there's an interesting manipulation that happens sometimes with spirituality where, um, you know, people are taught or people are led to believe that, you know, you have to be nice all the time. You have to be kind. And, you know, this is kind of the whole, um, you know, there's some people that are, they take the whole light and love thing a little bit to the extreme when no, there comes a time sometimes when you have to say, Hey, wait a minute, I'm going to draw a boundary here. You demons, I know you demons have fun tormenting people. I know that that's what you feed off of and what you enjoy. And that's all well and good. But you know what? Fuck off and go do it to someone else because I'm not playing your game. I'm not your guy. I don't like that. And I don't want to experience that, you know. Um, and there, there does come a time where you, just because you just because you respect the existence of everyone and everything, it doesn't mean that you have to have that be a part of your experience it doesn't have to i don't have to allow that in my space sort of thing but anyway i'm getting way i'm i'm bouncing around to a million topics and getting way off topic but where i was going was no with, never feel bad <laughs> the whole suicide thing um i did come to a point uh, about i guess it was about maybe six years ago maybe five and a half i literally was coming up with a plan to end it all because um i i had a big sale fall through as they always did. I had so many big sales fall through. I once again, couldn't pay the rent. I had already borrowed thousands and thousands of dollars from my parents to pay the rent. And they didn't have any more money to lend at this point. And I was going to have to go home. It was the end of the pay period and this sale fell apart. And I was going to have to go home and tell Debbie, we're not going to be able to pay the rent again. And we can't borrow any more money. And I didn't know what to do. And I really was, I was I was hatching a plan. I was like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm really going to do this. And um, I was going to throw myself into traffic on the freeway, which is horribly irresponsible because that would involve someone else. And um, I, I don't know why that I thought that was an okay plan to kill myself, but I don't know. That just seemed like the thing to do. Um, it, seemed, it made sense at the time. Don't know why. Anyway, um, a coworker of mine at work actually noticed that I was really having a hard time. And this guy is Mr. Positivity. And to this day, he'll text me out of the blue. You know, every few weeks, I just get a text from Bobby that says, Dave, the universe has amazing, wonderful things in store for you. You know, he, he's, <laughs> he's like this. Yeah, he's this motivational, wonderful, positive. I mean, he, he at the time, he was a godsend. Literally, he was an angel because he sat me down and he was like, dude, something's really wrong with you today. And I was like, oh, go away, Bobby. I don't want to talk about it. And he was like, no, 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 I know you. And you know, you're usually pretty resilient and like, what's going on? And he badgered me for over a half hour until I finally caved. And I finally told him, you know, look, this deal fell apart and 
you know, and I just told him my whole situation and he was like, that's permanent. You know, what you're experiencing right now is temporary, but what you're talking about doing is permanent. And don't you think that it's something you could regret if you were to do it? I was like, yeah, I know, I know, Bobby, but I, you know, I, it was like, I just couldn't see any other, uh, way out. And, um, you really want anyway, to, anyway, he made me, <laughs> yeah, he made me, uh, take a book. He, he lent me a book and I, um, I read that book and it's to this day, it's a cherished book. It's one of the best books I ever read, but it really brought me back to my core beliefs, which is that we're all 100% responsible for everything we experience. We create our own reality. The external world is a mirror of your internal world. Any situation that you have, this book was great because it gave me the concept What's of the, the workout situation. Oh, um, <laughs> it's a very generic sounding self-help title, but this book is super deep and super psychedelic. It's called um, Be Who You Want, Have What You Want. Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. And that book is by a guy named Chris Prentice, um, and he uh, he's the co-founder of um, I forget the name of it. It's some addiction um, recovery place uh, in Malibu, but they're they were the, one of the first to like you know kind of buck the paradigm that addiction is something you're stuck with forever and you have to manage it day to day. He said no. You can cure addiction. You can if you can get to the root of the problem. I guess his son. His son, Pax Prentice, was a heroin addict for like 13 years or something like that. And they tried everything and he kept going back to it. And then finally they had a breakthrough where they discovered what the pain was inside him that was causing him to be an addict. And he cured himself. And then they started, uh, I want to say the name of the place is Passages. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, that's yeah, not that really central. central. Yeah, it's not central to the book. The book is all about consciousness, and it's all about – in fact, there's a chapter called Consciousness, um, and it's all about – the whole book is about consciousness, though, and it's about how you create your reality and how if you're going through a difficult situation, you can't run away from it. And if you do, you're going to create that same situation in some other form for yourself until you learn what you need to learn and grow in the way you need to grow so that you don't keep creating that for yourself again. Um, and it's, it's a, just a fantastic book and it, 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 it helped uh, save my life. And my friend Bobby helped save my life because um, he made me commit to read at least 10 minutes a day from that book. And I did, and I ended up being so engrossed with it. I read much longer than that every day, but um you know, the thing that that book really woke me up and brought me back to my core beliefs, which is karma and reincarnation. And there's no getting out of anything. So, Raphael, when you ask, you know, what do you think about the concept of a being choosing to terminate their existence? Well, you know, I mean, you know, even as you asked the question, we are infinite, eternal beings of awareness. We're pure awareness. We can't I, I i you know I, dave santucci he could terminate himself certainly i could bring an end to this current existence and this biological body but that doesn't end anything i in some form my consciousness my awareness my energy my desires my karma that is going to continue on and if i were to do that i most likely would find myself in a situation 10 times worse 
I'm going to have to start all over. I'm going to create the same problems for myself, the same situations, maybe with other people, maybe with other details. But really, you know, there's no getting out of anything. So the best way through any challenge is not to try to figure out a way to get out of it or get away from it. But, you know, you just got to you got to power through it and you got to figure out how did I get here? Why did I create this for myself? What am I going to do about it? What are the factors involved? And how do I do this all at the same time, at least in my philosophy? How do I do this with causing the least amount of harm and suffering to others as well as myself? Because, you know, I feel like that, you know, like you said, the Buddhist concept, you know, of piling more karma on yourself. Well, if I find myself in a shit tangle of just a mess, you know, there's there's many different ways to untangle yourself, but there's some that are going to lead to more karma for yourself and more suffering in your future and some that are going to lead to less suffering in your future. And I always want to try to figure out, okay, what is the, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's that cliche, what would Jesus do, you know? Um, I mean, cliches have truth in them at some level, so don't feel too bad. Yeah, but um, so I didn't do it because I knew, ultimately, I knew that, you know, um, there is no getting out of anything. And I decided, you know, from that day on, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start fighting. I'm going to start yelling back at my wife. I'm going to yell back at my son. I'm not going to be, you know, prior to that day, there was a two-person yelling rule in my house. Those two people were allowed to yell and get mad, and I never was allowed to. And I said, you know what, fuck that bullshit. I'm going to get mad now. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to stand up for myself. And I did. And things changed. And it was, you know, for a while there, like my, my wife and sons, my wife and son started saying to me, what happened to you? You've gone crazy. You're all this, you know, and at the same time, then I decided to go vegetarian. And then they were trying to tell me that I was deficient in nutrients. And so that's why I was getting crazy and getting so angry. And, you know, my son would go, dude, you just need a burger, man. And I was like, no, I don't need a fucking burger. I need people to start fucking listening to me, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, it was quite a crazy time. And they were right. I was going a little crazy. But at the same time, you know, they would say, what happened to nice Dave? We want the old Dave back. And I would go, you know what? That guy killed himself. Sorry. He's not around anymore. Now you got me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I said that with humor, but they it wasn't very funny to them at the time. Um you know, I've kind of come back to a place now where I'm able to chill and I'm, I, I'm, I've, I've come back to now being able to be nice and, and, and jovial. But there was a, there was a while there for a couple of years uh, where I was like, uh, you know, I just, I just really started to embrace uh, my dark side and my, my anger and my, my, um, and I'm glad it all happened, you know, because I have, I'm, I'm an extremely strong, fiery person and I was letting myself just get trampled by the world and it's not right. You know, I, um, I needed to kind of awaken the beast within in order to be able to exist in this world and find a place where I can be at peace and say, you know what, it's all okay because nothing actually hurts me, you know, I'm okay. That's what's up. Uh, I'm guessing psychedelics have helped. I can't be certain of that, but I mean, imagine you've worked through some stuff with that. Absolutely, yeah. And it's funny because I I did psychedelics when I was 
you know, back in the 1980s, when I was a teenager, I started doing psychedelics. And then sometime in my early 20s, I stopped. Um, I got married, not to my current wife. My current wife and I, we've been married almost 25 years now. Um, but uh, I was married before that. I married a lady that was 22 years older than me. And um, mainly because the sex was incredible. And um, she was 42 and I was 20 when we got married. But when that happened, then I stopped doing psychedelics um, because she wasn't into it. But uh, my son, when my son became a teenager, him and his friends, they started smoking weed and they started getting into psychedelics. And, you know, I, I was having very open, honest conversations with my son at the time and telling him, hey, you know, here has been my experience with drugs. You know, once he once we found out that he was smoking weed and experimenting, I was like, dude, let me tell you about alcohol. That's one of the worst drugs ever. And here's why. Let me tell you about cocaine. Let me tell you about meth. Let me tell you about this, that, and the other, you know, so he, he and I had very, uh, very open conversations because I wanted him to be able to learn from my mistakes, you know, and hopefully maybe stay away from some of the more addictive drugs that are, you know, don't really have a lot of personal growth to offer, but he did end up, um, experimenting with psychedelics and not because of anything I told him, you know, these conversations sort of happened once I found out, you know, <laughs> um, and I, I never provided them with anything or anything like that. But there came a point when um, I was like, you know, in all my conversations with him and he was like telling me about his um, acid trip and everything. And uh, his friends ended up, I ended up, you know, um, getting back into psychedelics basically because of my son and because of his interest in it and his friends um, the first time I ever smoked uh, salvia extract was because one of his, one of my son's friends, and they were like 17 at the time, uh, he gave me some salvia and he was like, dude, like this is different from anything you've ever tried. Trust me. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, psychedelics have been a huge part of my journey. Um, even during the, I don't know how long it was, 20, no. Yeah, 20, 20, 25 years, somewhere in that range that I wasn't doing psychedelics. I had a long break uh, while I was being married and raising a son. And, you know, but when he was when he was an older teenager, I started to get back into it. And now um, I don't know if I'll be doing them the rest of my life, but I do. Um, you know, I mean, I just did mushrooms last weekend. I love magic mushrooms. I love acid. Those are my two. I think my two favorites, really. Um, do you not smoke weed? Right now, I don't smoke or trip. I haven't in a little while. Um, when Rafael, no, I stopped. Stop. You don't do cannabis, though. Yeah, you seem like more. I mean, not to say that potheads aren't sharp, but you seem more like you're on acid generally. <laughs> well, let me tell you, weed. I was a huge <laughs> weed smoker. <laughs> I was, I, I smoked weed from the time I was 15 years old until when my son was a baby. I stopped for a while. Um, because I was concerned and I didn't, you know, I, I, I was concerned about neighbors calling the cops on me or something. This was before like medical marijuana was even legal in California, um, which has been a long time ago, but um, you know, I, I had a, I had a neighbor that was very fundamentalist Christian and um, he was really nosy and really into our business a lot. And so I stopped smoking weed just because I didn't want him calling social services on me because we had a baby in the house. Much later, I relaxed, though, and I did go back to smoking weed. And I got to a point where I was smoking more weed than – holy shit, you guys. I, I probably have smoked more weed than 
some people will smoke in their entire lifetime. More than Snoop um, Dogg. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I was smoking, you know, like um, I was doing dabs. I would, I would get to the point where I was doing major, huge dabs multiple times a day. And I finally stopped smoking weed because, uh, and I, I just, I quit Couldn't two whistle. years ago. Oh no, I can oh, whistle great. <laughs> I thought your lung capacity was shot. You're like, it's one or the other. <laughs> no, uh, well, yeah, it definitely affects that. But um, no, the main thing was I just I got to a saturation point where I was like, you know what, I'm like I'm not even. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I, like I Alan Watts. If you get the message, hang up the phone, kind of thing. Exactly, and so yeah, it's been in December. It'll be two years for me with cannabis, but um, maybe I'll smoke it again someday. But I don't feel like I ever need to again. I mean, and I enjoy having more physical energy. I enjoy being a little bit sharper and not so. You know, the thing was, I was using it as to anesthetize myself against my emotions. I was using it to try to escape. You know, because weed makes you feel really good and it's really easy to ignore things that aren't quite right. And it's really easy to not get upset about things when you smoke weed. Um, but there were things in my life that weren't right and that I wasn't addressing and that I needed to, you know, and um, I'm glad, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I um, decided that maybe I didn't need the weed anymore. And it it did... There are still times, you know, there are times when I'll have some, a little bit of anxiety and I'll be like, man, like, like even just with work, even just trying to get my work done during the day, like I'll just get aggravated and I'll be like, why is everyone so stupid? Ah, you know, or whatever. And I get frustrated and it's like, uh, but I would rather learn to calm myself and learn to become centered without that crutch because it really did come to a point where weed was a crutch for me you know um and i i now i have a fantastic ability to just feel that whatever i'm feeling but then breathe and then just learn to just go okay you know what it's okay it's all temporary this will pass this too shall pass you know whether it's something major whether it's something minor um you know it's it's really funny because you know our our basic i think our default mode as humans is to be content and to be happy if we're fed and clothed and we're not in pain and you know if there's nothing major going on it's really easy to be happy if you can just be but we're in this culture that has taught us that you have to have this and you you have to feel bad about this and you have to feel bad about that. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not handsome enough. You're not strong enough. You're not fit enough. You're not rich enough. You're not successful enough. Whatever it is, we have all these million little bullshit distractions and reasons that try to pull us out of our happiness and that try to cause us to not be content and not be at peace. And really, we have there's very little we actually need we need oxygen, we need food, we need water, we need shelter. And we need, you know, we need human contact and love. And that one can be very challenging sometimes in modern society. But, you know, there's very little we really actually need to be happy. And we've convinced ourselves, we've allowed society to convince our well, I guess, we, you know, we've consented to it, obviously, as we're talking about. But, you know, we've got to a place where it's so hard to be happy, because of all this fucking bullshit. Pardon my French. Oh, I don't care. Uh, it's funny because uh, <laughs> there's something called the Gene Keys. I don't know if you've ever read it. You probably find it fascinating. And today I was reading a Gene Key. It's based off the I Ching and gets into like human 
designs and genetics and temperaments and stuff. But um, so it's like psychedelic occultism, but with science backing it somewhat. So uh, anyway, there was a gene key we we're talking about, and there's 35 gene key today, which is how old I am, and it was talking about hunger. And it's like there's a genetic level of hunger that programs us to always, you know, even when we're sated, we start wanting to think about the next meal or something. There's this, and that's kind of why suffering exists. That's why war exists. That's why, you know, people rape people. This is, you know, like people aren't satisfied essentially, and they're not in that place of happiness, which is inherently available. But um, whether it's not, you know, not being fully present or cultural programming or chemicals or you know you know whatever uh we choose to think and it can be any number of things whether it's like oh when i get you know that paycheck i'll be happy or if i go to this vacation spot or if i have that experience or if i do this drug or if i meet this person or you know we we externalize a lot of our happiness um and it might even be genetically programmed into us to some degree we will overcome it at some point but we have to be able to essentially i mean the book was saying something to the effect of like I mean, I forget what I was kind of saying now because it's not right on my mind, but the idea is like we'll evolve out of that. Uh, It's about grace, essentially. Once we start realizing grace and it's like we have what we need, like you were saying. It's like we could choose to be ambitious, but like knowing that that monkey mind part of us and that part of our culture and archonic force or whatever isn't the driving mechanism once we kind of make that shift, that is what becoming awake means, I think. I mean, Buddha means awake, so it's like waking up is an understanding at some level of the context you find yourself in and having sympathy and compassion for yourself as well as others who find themselves in a similar situation. Um, Raphael, what are your thoughts on hunger and uh, addictions or whatever we're kind of talking about? Well, what's certainly true as Dave mentioned is that if you can get to the root cause and resolve it, you know, you can change everything. Same as with any belief system, would have mentioned last time, I think, if you or with Paul, if you really look at it and you find the root uh, cause, in this case, the root belief or the core belief, you can identify it as nonsensical if it's negative because you are eternal, immortal and uh, unconditionally loved. And yeah, then you can change anything and everything. And in terms of hunger, um, there is a lower quote-unquote lower level in terms of animal consciousness like you know the the lion doesn't start you know workaholic type hunting for weeks so then he has to build a refrigerator to save up his food or something like that it's always how the joke goes um but there is also a higher version of that which is in a sense well quote-unquote higher uh, synchronicity itself or, uh, Jim, you always give this good example about the birds and the bees or something like that. And uh, these frequencies are certainly accessible. However, here I would say, as with everything, it's really not so much a matter of circumstance. It's really very much a matter of individual alignment as to how these things will be experienced. That they are there in terms of culture, conditioning, and let's say collective fields for definitely F and sure. However, of course, we are all asked to deal with it individually and uh, even just being aware of these different experiences or perspectives may give us some freedom in choosing how we wish to respond to these, uh, let's say, um, stressors. So, I mean, it seems like we're all kind of getting to the point 
of an agreement and such that we, I mean, whether it's all good and we choose it from a higher plane or whatever, but there's core issues that we tend to distract ourselves from, whether justifiably or not is, you know, to varying degrees of, you know, availability there. But um, how have you guys learned and dealt with your core wounds? Uh, and, and I'm kind of curious how your salvia trip was because I haven't done that. Wow. Um, do you want to go first, Raphael, or do you want me to? Well, maybe actually we could do a quick music break, come back in about oh, four sure. minutes, and then you can just start, you know, with uh, whatever aspect uh, you'd like. All right. I picked this song because it has whistling, Dave. It's for you. Oh, sweet. Well, then, enjoy. Welcome back to Team Rebuttal Edition 173 with Dave Santucci. So, I heard Salvia Divinorum. Yeah, I was curious about how we deal with identifying, you know, hangups in order to overcome them with, like, honestly, and maybe that's just a part of the process if we honestly ask, we'll honestly get the answers, but our egos tend to get in the way and we tend to only want to hear what we want to hear. Um, but I also was curious about that salvia experience. I have smoked it once, but it didn't have anything like what people describe. I've heard, also heard that, you know, there's a percentage of people, like 20% of people don't even have an experience. Maybe I'm in that category, but... What have you guys done, Salvia? I mean, Dave has, but like, what was the experience like? Well, um, I've smoked it three times, and the the huge trip that I had was the second time. Uh, the first time, I just kind of had a sort of weird, you know, funny little you know awareness of like this swirly energy, and there was this really giggly ridiculousness to it, um, and but I didn't really go deep, but the second time I smoked it. And before I talk about that, the third time I smoked it, I only smoked a tiny bit because to be honest with you, it took me like two years to get up the courage to try it again. And even then I only took a tiny little pinch. I still have a whole bunch of extract that I haven't smoked. And it's gosh, I've had this extract sitting here for like the last seven years or something, because I know I want to do it again and try it again, but it was such a heavy trip that it's like, I really, really need to like get up the courage. Um, I went to the afterlife. Um, so this is now I'm talking about the second time I smoked it, took a huge hit on top of some cannabis, held it in as long as I could. And when I exhaled and closed my eyes, it took me, I mean, the only way I can describe this, it took me to the afterlife. Um, I first, what first happened was that I was, I found myself before, basically I was right before this huge, huge face and it was like a demon. That's the only way I can describe it. It was this really, it was, uh, it's funny, we were just talking about hunger. This thing was like this hungry, um, it had like a sexual hunger toward me and it was looking at me going, Ugh. it was like, it had these huge lips, this huge tongue, it was dripping. The whole thing was very wet and gross. And it was a very immersive experience. Um, you know, it was like, it was, it was kind of like a part of me and I was a part of it. I, you know, I know you guys have experienced that sort of feeling on psychedelics where you're kind of merged with your environment and there's no clear boundary between self and outside of self. And this was like this, um, this huge thing, just, just eating me with its eyes. And then it sucked me into it. And 
it not into its mouth but what happened was i was like i basically was liquid and i was i found myself absorbed into this tiny speck on his face this face this thing was like the size of like a 10-story building it was this huge round demon face um anyway i was absorbed into this speck on its cheek and which was all swirling colors and now i was this liquid color i was like rainbow colors just cascading down a staircase an endless staircase it felt like and i was just cascading down these stairs and i was liquid and i was completely out of control and i at this point i was forgetting that i was even human i didn't know who i was or what i was or where i was i was just in this state of horror and panic and trying to pull myself together and resist what was happening and i didn't even i was i was just completely deconstructed and i was just at the mercy of this experience i was like holy fucking shit like the words didn't even exist i was just like ah um it was crazy so finally that subsided i, I this cascading down this staircase endlessly as this liquid color turned into then a swirling swirling like round motion of swirling colors and then i became aware of some laughing voices and um one of them was my sister anna and that at that point then i started to regain some awareness again of who i am and i was like that sounds like my sister like where am i what's going on here and then everything sort of subsided and now i was in this wheel and i was like a ball of energy and i was connected by these long rubbery strings of energy to other balls of energy and all of us were people in this wheel i left out a part actually before i saw the face of that demon the first thing I saw was this flash of this huge flesh wheel. It was like this huge circle and it had to be like a hundred or a thousand people all mashed together. And it was all these writhing legs and arms writhing together in agony. I only saw that for a split second and then was the demon face. Um, but anyway, but back to fast forward to where I was now. So now I'm in this, in this wheel. And it was like each one of us was like a station on the wheel. And there had to be, I don't know how many, if it was 12 people or 20 people or 30 people or more, I couldn't really see the whole thing. I could just kind of see my immediate zone and the people to either side of me. And again, we were just balls of energy with eyes, kind of like something out of a Nintendo video game or something. Um, but I was aware that we're all connected in this wheel. And then... I started to become aware that my siblings were there, some of them, um, my sister, Anna, my brother, Jerome, and I could recognize them somehow. I knew that that was them. And I was like, hey, wait a minute, you're here and you're here. And I was confused because I, I knew I was in the afterlife and I, but, and I could, I didn't remember how I got there. I didn't know that I had smoked salvia or anything at this point. I just knew that ineffably, I knew I was in the afterlife and I was confused because at the same time, I was kind of aware that those people are still alive. And so I was like confused why they were here with me in the afterlife. I was like, you're here and you're here. And as soon as I said that, everybody in the wheel all chimed in like sing song. And they all went, we're all here. We're always here. And I was like, oh, we're all here. We're always here. Where? What is going on? You know? Um, 
And then I settled into this really just comfortable place that I know I had been to before. And it was this vast, almost basically infinite purple zone. I was just purple energy. Everything was purple. There was nothing else but purple. And it was this buzzing purple energy that was just so, oh my God, it was bliss. It was the most peaceful, blissful, wonderful place, if you could call it a place. Um, and I knew I had been there before. It was almost like home. I was like, this place, I know this, you know, I almost felt like I was remembering where I was before I was born or something. I don't know. Um, but I, I definitely knew that place, that purple zone. And I was in there. I felt like it was there forever. I mean, it felt like an eternity at the time. Um, when that subsided and I started to become aware of the wheel again, I felt like I had been in the purple zone for months or years, or I don't even know how long. It was just an incredibly like timeless experience. It was, it was, I don't even know how to put this into words. Um, but then I found myself back in the wheel and then everybody in the wheel was like, okay, it's time to roll. And I was like, no, no, no roll. And I instantly became afraid because I somehow intuitively knew that the, if the wheel were to roll, that that was part of the mechanism of birth and death. And that if we were to roll, I was going to get ripped out of my current lifetime as Dave. And I was going to be born into a new baby body. And I didn't want that because I didn't feel like I was finished as Dave. And um, so I was going, no, don't roll, don't roll. And everybody in the wheel was going, wee, it's time to roll. And they were laughing and they were, the, it was the most hilarious wow. thing to everyone that I was scared. They were all just having the best time. Um, they thought it was hilarious. <laughs> they were giggling and laughing, and, hey, you know, and I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> and um, I was this, I, I don't, I think I've never been more scared in my life. It's funny because that one Salvi experience was both the most wonderful, blissful experience of my life when I was in the purple zone. And it also was the scariest experience of my life when I was faced with that big demon face at the beginning. And then at the end, when the wheel was going to roll. So the wheel started to roll and I was fucking freaking out and I was like trying to resist it, but I couldn't. The force of this was just so powerful. I couldn't do anything to resist it. And the wheel starts to roll. Just about now the salvia starts to wear off and I see, I catch a glimpse of my son's face. And I was like, and by the way, he was my trip sitter. He was there with me um, in physical space. So he was, he was. I saw him and he was looking at me and I was like, Dominic, I started to become aware that I was starting to see the room a little bit. And I was trying to think of something I could say to let the others in the wheel know that I couldn't go through with the role because I had something really important I had to do back in the physical world. And so the only thing I could think of was I said, Dominic, help me. I'm stuck in another dimension and I've got to get home because it's almost dinner time. And um, he confirmed afterward that I said that out loud, <laughs> which was the only thing I said out loud during the whole trip. <laughs> um, so the wheel is starting to roll. And finally, I start finding myself becoming more and more aware of the room. And then I could see my hands. And now I was on the ground. I started out sitting on the couch, but I was actually on the floor now. And I was looking at my hands and I was kind of just in a crawling position on the ground. And I guess I had, I had started leaning forward to fall out of the couch and my son actually helped me down. He couldn't keep me on the couch, but he, he helped me fall without smashing my face on the concrete floor of our garage, which was 
a good thing I had a trip sitter. By the way, anybody considering smoking a salvia divinorum yeah. extract, please have a trip sitter with you to protect your physical body. Because man, if you go someplace else, you're literally just not there. It's like the ship is still running, but there is no pilot. There's no, you know, you're you're gone somewhere else. So yeah. So anyway, I came back to the room and then it was like I was. I asked my son, how long have I been gone? I felt like I had been gone for like months. And I go, dude, how long was I gone? And he goes, mm, I don't know, five minutes. And I was like, no way. Because I felt like it was, I was like, dude, it had to be much longer. I mean, tell me at least it was like 45 minutes or an hour or something. He goes, no, well, I don't know, man, maybe seven minutes. I don't know. And I was like, oh my God, it was crazy. Um, it was just crazy. And it took me about two hours. You know, we went after a little while we went in, we had dinner with my wife and I just felt memorable like dinner. Of, You're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was in a state of non-reality. Everything seemed so fake and rubbery. This is the thing. Okay. Everything over there was so vivid and so real. It was much more real than this place. I that's what know. everyone, that's what everyone says. I concur. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Now, have you experienced that Raphael? That That yeah, so I, can, that... I can briefly share my experience. It's not as, um, let's say, much story-based as yours, so it's much shorter. Um, so a few years ago, I was uh, with a friend of mine. We got some. I mean, it's even this is interesting in this case because this is even technically legal almost everywhere, I think, although it is like incredibly powerful. It's definitely not something I would recommend smoking for fun or like put a little bit in because at least then for me it just tastes really bad and gives me a headache i mean <laughs> maybe that's just me um but i don't think it's just me so here it's more like you know going for the saturation point i would say um so i smoked it like through some kind of a tiny bong actually i think even two times but it was normal it was no extract also i got some extract just like you I also had it laying around because I knew what it could do. And then I gave it to a friend. Um, so yeah, similar kind of feelings there. However, what happened in that experience <laughs> was that um, I smoked it and, you know, just laid back and yeah, recommendation definitely, you know, start on the floor and have everything full of cushions, certainly, you know, trip sitter, all of that, especially with this highly recommended because just like you said, you can completely log out in a sense. I would say I have not maybe reached that level of saturation in terms of what you described, but it was good enough to get an experience. So um, basically what happened, I have this huge uh, uh, Ganesh um, tapestry and it kind of started to look like an assortment of hands or something. It was just the first image and I was like, okay, this kind of interesting, but whatever. And then I close my eyes and um, I actually end up in a view that I called the uh, operator room or the architect's room of the matrix however only in the sense that i have one view and in that view i see plenty of screens and these are actually screens that are kind of like camera angle views within my room of me actually laying in that room i couldn't like make out details but i was aware that's what it was and just see like some variations of that but all on one screen And because, you know, I'm a student of metaphysics and so on, I was immediately aware, like, oh, this is, I was like, oh, this is so cool. You know, like I'm in the higher self operator room, or at least I get a sort of a view of it. So I wasn't confused as to where I was. I was just excited. At the same time, I could say like, oh, 
I see myself from this perspective, great. It's like the higher self, you know, reality arranging perspective can see many screens at once. But hey, at the same time, I'm still in my body. So I didn't completely lose that connection or awareness. And then I realized in my, in my body, I'm incredibly amused by the situation. So I'm just laughing like mad for a few minutes. However, at the very same time, I feel as if literally like a car is with one tire right across my face. So, so my face feels kind of strange, but, um, you know, I'm aware that I'm in this, this specific state, so I'm not like worried or anything, but I'm mostly amused. And then what I do for the next few minutes is I just keep laughing and switching back and forth consciously between my body consciousness and this higher self level, uh, perspective. So yeah, great fun for sure. Wow. I haven't done that, Salvia. Well, I smoked it once back in high school because we couldn't find weed, and I didn't have a reaction. But some kid thought he was a panther. So, I mean, like I said, I might not have the react receptor for it or something. But the whole um, "this feels more real than life" kind of mode is definitely how DMT was for me. Right, the same story. story. I mean, they're yeah. si are they similar chemically, or how? What's going on there? Actually, well, my understanding is that salvinorin, and this is part of the reason why it's still legal in so many places, um, you know, most psychedelics are alkaloids and they affect certain receptors in the brain. And like, you know, for example, psilocin, which is uh, psilocybin, your body metabolizes it in psilocin. And there's a chemical chain that's actually identical to the major piece of DMT. So they're very related uh, chemically. Uh, as far as the molecular structure, but um, salvinorin A is something completely different. It's not related to any other psychedelic uh, in terms of the molecular structure, and so uh, it's not an alkaloid. And it doesn't. It only it only affects one receptor in the brain, apparently, and I forget what that is. I want to say it's an opioid receptor, um, and they don't really know how it works. They're still trying to figure out what it is. And why it's so powerful but um it's so just to support you briefly um according to wikipedia uh, it is structure salvinorin a is structurally distinct from other naturally occurring hall hallucinogens because it contains no nitrogen atoms hence it is not an alkaloid but rather it is a terpenoid terpen terpenes are i think also those things that are in cannabis like a heap of them it also differs in subjective experience compared to other hallucinogens and has been described as, as dissociative. Well, I guess with this part, we can agree. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so what about mushrooms and LSD? Do, I mean, I, those are, I would say, cannabis, mushrooms, LSD are the drugs of choice for me. What uh, did you like about those particularly, Dave? Wow, okay, well, this... Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> ten, 10 or 20 minutes. I want to know well, about whistling to... competitions and shit too, but maybe we'll just have to get you on another time. Oh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, that's, that's you another whole story in itself. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, actually, though, whistling, my, I became really good at whistling and especially with controlling my warble. Um, you know, the... Um, on an LSD trip, when I was about 17 years old, uh, went to see Grateful Dead in, at Irvine Meadows Amphitheater, um, in 19, 
87, I think it was, or it might've been 86. It was somewhere right in there. And, um, I was on probably, I guess, three or four hits of acid and I started whistling and this was after the concert. This was later in the parking lot when everybody's just hanging out and everything. But I spent a lot of time whistling and just, I closed my eyes and I, it was like, I could feel everything, every muscle in my mouth and everything. And I, I just developed this incredible control over my whistle. And, um, I, I, I wish I could say this on YouTube because people all the time on my YouTube channel, they're like, Oh my God, how'd you get to learn to whistle so well? And I'm like, well, you know, I've been been whistling since I was three years old and, you know, and all that. But really the reality is like, I really had a huge breakthrough in my whistling ability on LSD. Um, but, um, dude, I love me mushrooms and acid. That's really, I think those are my favorite drug as well. Um, I started doing them when I was a teenager. Uh, they really helped me. This goes back to, we were talking about uncovering what are your deepest wounds and what are you, you know, what is it that prevents you from being able to be at peace and be happy in life and to love yourself and accept yourself. And, um, so I, I, Jim, I know I've told you this before and you're aware of it, uh, Raphael, I hope this is no shock to you. I sense that it probably won't be or any problem for you, but um, I'm bisexual. And um, when I was a teenager, I was really struggling with uh, starting to become very afraid that I was gay because I was having these thoughts and fantasies of having sex with men. And, um, you know, it was really, um, by the way, I'm not allowed to talk about this openly on social media. Um, I don't mind talking about it here on this podcast because the people who are not supposed to hear it will never hear it. But basically the rule is, um, and by the way, my wife knew this about me before we ever even really became heavily involved romantically. She knew this on the second date I told her um, because I want to be open and honest about it with people. But the rule is I'm not allowed to talk about this openly on social media until my wife's parents both die because she just doesn't want to deal with them and doesn't want to have to hear it or have an, you know, it'll be like a a major calamity if they were to find this out. Although they'd have to be kind of stupid to not have figured it out by now, but whatever. Um, You know, my favorite color is purple and I make no secret of that. And I have always, when proposition eight was happening in uh, California and, you know, I was very um, outspoken on on social media about the fact that, um, you know, gay people should be allowed to get married and, and everything. So it's kind of like, I haven't done a huge job of trying to hide it or anything. Um, you know, but it's, it's unfortunate too, because in our culture, in Western culture, it's like, um, or maybe in a lot of cultures, it's kind of like, well, if you're okay with gayness, then you must be gay too. Um, maybe now times have changed, you know, kids these days have it a lot easier than I had it growing up. But in the 1980s, it was right when AIDS happened and the whole AIDS scare. And there was a lot of, there was even more hostility than usual toward gay people. And, um, you know, growing up in Long Beach and, you know, I've always been very, very girl crazy. I love chicks and, you know, I always was trying to have sex with girls too. And, um, but, you know, there's this really sort of um, alpha male thing that happens where there's a competition and it's always happening and some guys are more attuned to it and some guys are less attuned to it, but there's people are always trying to, you know, um, make themselves appear more desirable. And, and part of that is being more manly or being stronger than others or pushing others around or whatever. And, and, um, so I was, you know, 
I had a lot of difficulty um, as a teenager dealing with that whole dynamic because I'm a, I'm a small guy. I'm, you know, I'm about five foot six and I've always been smaller than everyone else my age. Um, and so, you know, I learned to be nice and be funny and be a diplomatic and be a peacemaker, mainly because I was afraid of getting my ass kicked, you know, um, but I always had to keep that a huge secret. But when I started doing psychedelics, um, it really caused me to deal with that. I, you know, when I was on acid and on mushrooms um, as a teenager, I mean, you guys know, you can't hide from yourself. You can't not face the truth. If you know the truth about something, it puts it right in front of your face and you have to deal with it. And so I was like, well, holy shit. I was like, I guess, I guess I am gay, you know? And I was like, well, but then I, I also then eventually came to, the point where I realized, well, you know, but I'm very sexually attracted to girls as well. So uh, I guess I'm not gay exactly. I, I guess I must be bisexual, you know, and I guess if you have to label it, then that's what it is. Um, but um, so when I got a little bit older, then I did start experimenting with, um, you know, sex with men um, and um, which was really actually something that I really needed because I all of a sudden now I got the attention and I was desirable. Whereas with girls, I had to try so hard and, you know, I'm not the best looking guy in the world. And I wasn't the biggest, especially at the time, I'm a lot more in, in shape and fit now than I used to be. But at the time I was this scrawny twiggy little kid, you know, and um, it just wasn't somebody that girls would look at and go, Ooh, that guy. Wow. I want, I want him to fuck me, you know? Um, so <laughs> I, I, I had to put in a ton of effort um, to get laid with girls. Whereas with guys, it was super easy. I was just, it was like, man, they wanted me and I was the the star of the show. And it really, you know, it fed my ego a lot. And it really gave me that, that warm feeling of being desired that I so needed. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of, um, uh, that was something that really, you know, that really was uh, good for me and that I needed um, got married when I was 20 and, um, you know, then was, so then was basically straight for most of that time. But toward the end, you know, my wife at the time, my first wife, Diane, she was also bisexual and she was 22 years older than me. And toward the end, when her and I were talking about separating and splitting up, we started, we kind of had an open marriage type of thing where then, you know, I started having sex with men again and she was having sex with women. And we even at one point had a threesome with her and her girlfriend and, and me. And, and that was, you know, fun, but, um, anyway, um, but then when I married, you know, Debbie, my wife now, um, all of that completely stopped. Um, and, um, you know, I lived for a long time, you know, I felt like, well, you know what, I don't have to experience that ever again. I'll be fine just being straight. Um, you know, but that didn't turn out to be the case. There came a point where a few years back where I was like, really started to have a problem. And part of this was that I was so unhappy in life. And part of this was feeling very unfulfilled. And I'm a, I'm a really intense person with a lot, a lot of energy and a lot of sexual energy and very, very passionate. I mean, like there's, I don't know if there's a person on the planet that could ever actually satisfy me. Um, so anyway, but 
Um, I don't want to get into too much personal stuff or anything like that. But, too you know, late, I, Dave. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, Salvia um, has your sexual history. We know you fully. No, I'm kidding. I've read your chart before, so this isn't too surprising. You have a lot of fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I have a, you know, my, my sun is in Leo. My moon is in Sagittarius. Mars in Sagittarius. My rising, my ascendant is Sagittarius. Um, and, uh, you know, and then my son is in the eighth house and, um, yeah, it's pretty, um, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty crazy guy, but, um, you know, I've, I've no, got a place cool. where I'm, <laughs> thanks. I'm, I'm really at peace with myself. I, I have psychedelics to thank for the fact that I probably might've killed myself at some point when I was a teenager, if I hadn't had a few psychedelic trips that allowed me to make peace with the fact that I was different. You know, I was, I, I was really having a hard time with that. And I mean, the statistics are that, you know, people who identify as um, gay or bisexual or, or trans or whatever, the suicide rate for teenagers is something like five times for quote normal teens. And um, I hate to even use that word. I just was trying to be quick about it, but um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's really a tragic thing that, um, you know, people are made to feel like that they're not, you know, that like somehow like that, you know, you're going against God or you're going against nature or whatever. And, you know, psychedelics really helped me to understand that, hey, if something was not okay to exist, you actually said this earlier today, Raphael, that if it wasn't allowed to exist, it would not exist. God doesn't make mistakes. The universe doesn't have things that exist that should not exist. And which, when you start to talk about things like the slaughterhouses and the meat industry and all the suffering that goes on and the, the predatory nature of this world and all that, it can kind of get a little bit horrifying to think about that. But it, that is the reality. You know, everything that exists is part of this experience. And all of it is... Um, this is actually... Some, Something I wanted to tie back and ask you before. So thanks for bringing it yeah, up go, again. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Um, in terms of veganism, because I generally agree, me myself, not that it's about definitions, but I'm very much vegetarian for many different reasons for quite a few years and mostly vegan, same for many years. And some, you know, there's much more to say about food and diet from many different perspectives. I would also certainly agree that any, you know, cattle or whatever living and dying in a slaughterhouse on some perspective has chosen that incarnation, especially again, then for uh, animals, the experience is of course quite different than for humans. However, then how for you, do you still make the choice or reasoning maybe? I almost feel like this would be a question Jim would ask, but I don't know. Um, that you would say, well, they made the choice, but still you choose to be vegan and kind of if it would go your way, then they wouldn't be slaughtered anymore. So how, how do you make that connection for yourself? Wow, that's a great question. And um, it's one that I've answered for a number of different friends because they know my beliefs on karma and reincarnation. Um, so here's how I see it. Um, yes, we all... Each of us chooses our family and our birth circumstances and our lifetime and most of the major events in our lifetime. And maybe there's a little wiggle room here and there. And maybe that maybe that's 
maybe there is a multiverse and that's where all these variations happen in these different timelines. Who knows? I don't know about that stuff, but you know, the cows, yeah, they chose that existence for whatever their karmic reasons are. Um, you know, I, uh, the reason I'm still vegan, even knowing that is because, because it, I believe in karma and reincarnation. And I believe that if I don't want to suffer in the future, then I have a responsibility to myself to try to not cause suffering to others wherever and whenever possible. And so, you know, if I'm contributing to that, which most of my life I did, most of this lifetime, I've been a huge meat eater, um, ate eggs, ate dairy, all of that. And I went vegetarian about four and a half years ago. Um, and um, because, you know, I was like, hey, I don't want to cause suffering to others. I started to realize that that was uh, something that is going to affect my own karma. And so really, I mean, the simple answer is, and this goes back to something you said that service to others is the highest service to self and service to self is the highest service to others. Um, if I continue causing that suffering to others, knowing the horror that these animals go through, that that's their life. Um, and if I don't care and I just do it, then I feel like that I'm, I'm creating karma for myself that, um, I'm going to have to answer for, and I'm going to, I'm myself, I'm going to have to choose to experience that kind of suffering until I learn that it's not nice to do that to others. And so, um, I went vegetarian and then a couple of years later, as I started to learn more about the egg industry and the dairy industry and, you know, what happens to the chickens and what happens to the cows in the dairy industry and everything, um, I became aware that, well, if I, you know, there's as much suffering in those industries as in the meat industry and the dairy and meat industry are very closely intertwined. And I realized, well, you know, if I actually want to accomplish my goal here of not causing suffering to others when it's not necessary to, then I need to go vegan. And so I did. I went vegan and I've never looked back. It's now been almost, um, well, in in February, it'll be three years for me vegan. And That's about how long January, I've been doing it. I think we're on oh, the cool. same wave. Very cool. Yeah. And I'll be, it'll be five years vegetarian for me in January uh, or, well, no meat, I should say, uh, in January. Uh, vegetarian is a very loose term. You know, some people eat you can have cheese. And poultry and they <laughs> <laughs> and they still call themselves vegetarian. Yeah, they can live on poultry and fish. It's okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the other aspect there, right? Yeah. I was yeah, a horrible vegetarian yeah, for yeah. a long time. Trust me, I get it. It's like, yeah, I'm just eating like uh, quesadillas. <laughs> this this whole topic actually goes back to the whole thing we're talking about today of justice and the long term arc and evolution of humanity and that hunger and that you know the good and evil and all that. It's like, um. I believe personally, now this is just speculation on my part, and I don't know this to be fact, but, you know, I've been trying, I was trying to wrap my mind around how could all this suffering be happening and why would all these animals choose that existence? Why would they, why on earth would anyone choose to be a farmed animal and live a life, life of misery and then be slaughtered violently at the end? And the only thing I could put my finger on is, well... If I am going to enjoy life as a human at the top of the food chain on this planet, 
which by the way, we're not actually, if you figure in all the interdimensional stuff, but that's another topic, but you know, just biologically, we're the top of the food chain on this planet. And if I'm going to enjoy that, then maybe I have to do some time in the meat rotation as well in between human lifetimes. Because why else, why would these beings choose that existence? And what kind of karma would you be working off by choosing to go through that kind of misery and suffering and that horrible slaughter at the end? Oh boy, you um, mean these were like the, the misbehaving humans? <laughs> Well, not even misbehaving humans, but um, just, you know, maybe it's just part of the equation. But yeah, definitely, you know, I mean, definitely, like, uh, if I am going to suffer horribly, then I probably caused horrible suffering to others. But part of the reason that I am really trying to convince my friends and family that they should consider going vegan is not just because I do want to see a world eventually without all that slaughter and carnage and suffering. That's part of it. Um, but part of it also is because I don't want my friends and family to be part of that cycle of slaughter and suffering and meat any longer than they have to be. And I, 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 you know, people think I'm fucking crazy. And of course, they don't want to listen to me. And they, you know, I don't normally bring this conversation in. This is something I keep to myself most of the time. And I don't really talk about too much. I just try to, you know, um, ask people to have a little empathy and, you know, put yourself in the shoes of that animal. Um, if that was you, you know, we're so indoctrinated in this culture. I mean, I was from birth like everyone else, you know, that animals don't matter. They're not as important as humans. Their suffering doesn't matter. But yeah, but know, then one good example, you know, but one simple one. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bit into the, I mean, into, <clears throat> I know a little bit about veganism and some perspectives. And one that I find quite interesting as well, you know, you love your cat or your dog, you wouldn't want them to get hurt. People pay as right. loads amount of money to give them to some kind of doctors and so on with questionable results, I'd say, yet usually feeding them bad food like they're eating themselves. But anyway, they wouldn't eat their cat usually. However, then if it's, you know, properly packaged and so on, it's completely disconnected and uh, they don't mind. Right. Maybe some really don't think of it or whatever. And for me, what I also always like to bring it back to is even a very, very selfish and service to self idea, which is that, well, I mean, do you want to be drugged without your uh, agreement? I don't. And uh, certainly not with fear, uh, you know, catalyzing, I don't know, adrenaline or whatever is left in an animal that is under such stress for so many reasons antibiotics, vaccinations, maybe GMO food. I mean, there's so many things or even from a self-preserving viewpoint, uh, I could not recommend eating mass-produced meat uh, to anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Jim, what are your, what are your thoughts on the whole, um, you know, karma and the animals choose to be there? And are, are you, are you kind of uh, on the same page what I'm thinking? Uh, I mean, there's no way to prove this, I guess, on the one hand. But at the same time, uh, I guess I started becoming vegan when I had seen like a PETA video in an acid afterglow. Like I had tripped and then I saw something and I was just like, oh my God. And I just couldn't see it. Um, I guess I just decided, like you were saying, I didn't want to be part. I mean, life's already a shit show. Like why add to the suffering? Like it's already hard enough. Like I don't need to be ignorant. And, and isn't there also some kind of a saying like uh, there will be war on the planet or something like this? 
as long as slaughterhouses exist. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's I, one of my favorite sayings that I put in some of my social media posts about my veganism is everybody wants to change the world, but they're not even willing to change what's on their plate. Peace on earth begins on your plate, you know? Well, that's maybe a uh, bottom line. I don't disagree with you. I'm just not sure. I mean, that's we're going to have to get you back on it because I want to dissect your uh, mushroom trip where you were talking <laughs> to Archons and all this stuff. We have another guest waiting in the wings, so I'm going to have to wrap it up here. But bottom line, cool. we'll have you on again. You're dope as fuck. I, I mean, I knew you were team rabbit hole ever since we started talking, and I am glad that you gave us your time today. Hopefully, you and Debbie are doing well. And uh, yeah, I like I said, we'll have to get you back on. So thanks so much for coming on. Any parting thoughts? Dude, thank you guys, man. Thank you so much. Um, no, that's it. Just, um, you know, much love to everybody out there, uh, you know, especially anyone who's experiencing difficulty. You know, it's really weird times. There's major, major things happening astrologically and planet-wide and just, you know, hang on and, you know, hang in there and take it a day at a time and remember to breathe and just, you know, find your center and remember that all of this is temporary and we all chose to be here for this and any small ways that you can enjoy happiness here and there, like indulge yourself, you know, and, and don't take it all too seriously. You know, I'm guilty of this myself. Like it's, it's really easy to take all this so seriously, but you know, all of this is just a story unfolding and we happen to be plopped in the middle of it, but you know, it's all, it's all good. It's all going to come out in the wash. It's all for the highest good. And we're all progressing back toward full awareness and unity with the one and that's what it is so that's what's up so it is uh, thank you thank you and thank you for listening i'll catch you all in the next now and uh, enjoy yourselves Radio